You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. Today, we will speak with my good friend and colleague, Steve Zushin. Steve has been a critical contributor to Lifefield over the past nearly six years and to our industry for many more years before that. Steve recently became a principal and chief revenue officer of Mammoth Technology. Mammoth is a technology and service company that revolutionizes the way fund managers, financial advisors, and founders establish and service funds to enhance the investor experience. He'll fill us in on exactly what that means in just a moment. So Steve has been on our show before, but this is his debut as the CRO at Mammoth. Welcome back to Wealth Tech on Deck, Steve. Thanks a lot, Jack. It's good to see you, and thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. Good always to talk to you. So Steve, let's start with you telling us about Mammoth Technology. What is it? What do you do? Who do you do it for? Yeah, absolutely. So, so as you mentioned, uh, Mammoth Technology, we really aim at putting the advisor at the center of all financial decisions. Uh, that an investor is making. And today, they aren't at the center of alternative investments. Very rarely, actually, are alternative or private placements made through a financial advisor. If anything, we find that financial advisors are often managing alternatives by accident, and there's not a lot of technology to help them support. As you and I know, Jack, just through our own journey, this whole idea of allowing the advisor to provide holistic financial advice requires them to have a view and not just a view, but the ability to coordinate all of the assets that an investor owns. More and more, most financial advisors are aiming to increase the net worth of their clients, kind of move up the ladder. And as they do, those higher net worth clients come with alternative investments. And so we aim to provide the technology to help create a seamless experience, not just for the advisor, but also for their clients. So talk a little bit more. How did it come about? Where did that come from? How did you wind up doing this thing? Yeah. So Judd and Kim Mackerel are good friends of both of ours. Yes. And good friends of the industry, the wealth management industry. They're two of my partners and co-founders at Mammoth. Together, they joined forces with Tommy Martin, who's one of our founders, and GP. And they were actually interested in in creating Mammoth Investors. And that was a, a created a venture capital a VC fund that was aimed at making investments in the health and technology space. And through that process, through their natural market, um, a lot of their clients are financial advisors, a lot of the LPs that came into that fund. And the technology to support just bringing investors into the fund was terrible. No one was excited about it. It was a lot of paper pushing, a lot of emails back and forth, not a lot of visibility or transparency. And that led Judd and Kim, if anybody knows them, to say, hey, maybe we can build a better experience. And so together, they sought out to build this proprietary technology, really just to meet ends meet. It was about providing a better experience for the investors coming into their fund. But through that, it's like, hey, maybe this has legs. And after going out to market and talking to some of the clients that we had and other prospects, it really turns out that there's a big need, again, to bring the financial advisor into this exchange but also just to offer a better solution into onboarding and making investments into privates. So essentially what you've done by necessity, as Judd and Kim were going out, offering up their venture capital, the opportunity to invest in their venture capital properties, there wasn't really a system to make the paperwork work. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of fragmented tools out there. I mean, a lot. There's been a lot of investments in the venture capital space. It's no secret. <laughs> There's a lot of different stats around you know, institutionally, how much 
how many assets are allocated to private investments versus wealth management, which is extremely low. I think today uh, we're down at like three or four percent. Overall wealth management assets are allocated to private investments. In the institutional space, it's north of 20%. So there's a lot of room to expand to catch up. But that said, the technology that's aimed at improving this experience or making or suggesting or helping service clients who have made private investments, it's so fragmented, which requires you to have a pretty big allocation with a lot of revenue to support that. Um, So we feel that there's really a niche opportunity for a newcomer and for Mammoth with our founders and our roots in the wealth management RAA channel, where we really understand the technology that they use. We understand the the hurdles that they face. We understand their clients. We understand the fiduciary model. When we can bring all that together and offer a better experience, I think we can really get down to providing a tremendous amount of value and clarity to something that's been rather opaque. Gotcha. And obviously, this is not just for Mammoth VC properties, but this is for any and all. That's really where you guys are headed, right? Yeah. Originally, you know, the sites were on creating proprietary funds that would be all mammoth. And, you know, if you need private equity or private credit or private debt to allocate in your models, you can come and use these mammoth funds. But really, I think we boil it down to the essence of the technology. There's a lot of great investments out there. We all know like the story. Having private equity or private credit is interesting. I'm getting exposure to the the private market, which you know, I'm sure most of your listeners understand the difference, but when we talk about liquid assets is publicly traded on the markets and then these non-liquid or private investments, people like the story, man. You know, like I like the story of being an investor and having shares in private small companies where I can really like connect with that. Sure. And that's what I want to talk about. Right. right. I don't want to be like, oh yeah, I have five percent allocation of private equity. You know, I want to talk to, I want to tell the story. I want to be excited about sure, it. And, you sure. know, when you get higher net worth, that's the stuff that people thrive on. Yeah, yeah. So we feel that we want to be product agnostic. We want to be the rails for if I'm a financial advisor and I want to offer, I come across an opportunity. Maybe it's one of my clients. Maybe it's a client of mine that owns a business and they're going to raise capital. And I have 20 other clients that I think might be interested in the business of this other partner. I want to help them and usher them into that opportunity. But I want to do it with my regulatory concerns smashed. I want to do it compliantly. I want a track record. I also want to be able to report on it. And so, you know, with our background and our understanding, we know how to build the integrations. We know how to handle the data. We know how to work with compliance to make sure that they can not only be at the center of that advice and at the crossroads of that advice, but also ongoing, they can service their clients holistically. So essentially, you're creating an exchange for the marketplace to be able to buy and sell and track and all the rest of it is where are you in the process? I'm assuming that's what you do. And then please answer that. And then where are you in in the process of building it out? Yeah. So you can think of it as a marketplace, but it's a hundred percent curated by, you know, our partnership with that advisor. You know, there are a lot of marketplaces out there where you can go and it's kind of like the big block store where you can go in and you can discover new investments and you can find funds of funds and things that'll fit your needs. What we found is that a lot of advisors, as mentioned earlier, They don't have time to go in and do the due diligence. They're not all that interested, honestly. But when they do accidentally find themselves managing these alternatives because their clients have made those deals or discovered those deals, they need to be able to service it as part of their wealth management agreement with that client and part of the goal of giving holistic advice. So where we're at in the process today is this summer, we're aiming to launch our MVP. Today, we have a service offering where we can take a fund and we can help. They can use our investor portal. And we can invest or we can take investors 
through the onboarding process into any fund. It can be any fund. It can be a private equity fund, private credit, venture capital, any private placement, digitizing that whole process. But what we do that's unique today in this MVP is we allow that investor to assign any interested party. So that could be their attorney, could be their financial advisor, their CPA, at which point they can delegate that whole process to that trusted professional. And from there, the financial advisor can actually walk through populating the paperwork. They can figure out where the funding is going to come from. And then ongoing, they can handle the K-1s. They can handle any capital calls and any paperwork exchange. They get to be the center of that. They get to be the delivery mechanism of that news back to their investor, which today, there's nothing there that exists unless you're unless it's just one single fund. If there's more than one investment, it's spread across all those investments. Let's back up a little bit and talk about your backstory, because a lot of what you just described as a result of all the work you've done over the past many years, going back to Hidden Levers and certainly the great work you've done with us at Lifefield. So why don't you give us a little bit of a sense of what that all looked like? You've been involved with startups. You're involved in yet another one. So tell us about your journey. How did it get started? How did you wind up doing what you're doing today? Yeah. So you know, my background, I don't know if it's conventional or unconventional these days. People I feel like are being a little bit more transparent around where they've been. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today more than ever before. But you know, my background, I guess I got to this space is I studied finance in college. I studied finance in college, not because I was interested in financial services. I studied finance because I had, I guess, maybe a delusional or absurd confidence in myself that I was going to make money and I wanted to know what to do with it. Um, so I studied finance. I got there, if we even go back another step, which, you know, I've, I've found more to get comfortable with myself in this story, but I got there because I was kind of on a fast track to nowhere. I was bouncing around the country when I was a teenager. I tried college. I dropped out after one semester and I moved out of my hometown, which was Santa Cruz, California. I moved up to the Pacific Northwest and I met this guy, him and I became friends and he was a ticket scalper and up there in the Pacific Northwest at the time, you know, the laws were kind of vague. And as long as you weren't on the property of the venue, it wasn't illegal. So it was just this like, this game. And he invited me to come help him. And I worked with him for a weekend and we worked well together. And after working, I ended up working an entire summer with him at the Seattle Mariners Stadium. I made decent money. I was making really good money doing it. We would have a lot of fun. We were the first ones to bring two-way radios out. We were coordinating the buying and the selling market. We were some of the first ticket scalpers in Seattle to actually look at the weather forecast. And when it looked like there was bad weather on the weekend and we were holding a bunch of tickets on Saturday, we would sell them to other ticket scalpers setting the floor of the market. You know, while I was working with Mark, kind of developing our business at the time, which was called Ticket Boy. One weekend we came home and he put some cash in front of me. And this was Mark's business. I just worked for him. And he said, hey, man, this is your money if you want to use it to go to college. He said, there's no reason for you to be out here hustling on the street. You should go to college. This is how every business in our society works, is buying and selling. And so I picked up the money and I went and I, I enrolled at the junior college and took an intro to business and intro to economics. And Mark helped translate that into what I understood at the time, which was ticket scalping and really gave me that <laughs> motivation I needed. That's great. So that's like the origin story of Steve. <laughs> that is great. I love it. I love it. Because it is, I've always said, you, you and I have talked about this, you're either buying or you're selling. <laughs> it's just, yeah. if you're on one side or the other, or you're doing nothing. And That's it. So that's great. I believe that everybody's selling something. 
right? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sales, I don't know, gets like a stamp on our forehead or something, but when you think yeah. about it, the most successful people in any industry are the ones that have, have been the, the best at selling their story, you know? So talk about hidden levers. And what I'm curious about as you talk about it, because you really, met, I think, had a huge impact on our industry with what happened there. And then since that time with Lifefield, and then I'd like to hear where you like to go with Mammoth. So I've got a, a little bit of a trajectory here, if you would. And just what are you proud of? Hidden Levers was bought by Orion. Talk about that, how, how you got started and what role you played there. And I know you worked with some wonderful guys while there and so on. So take us through that. What are you proud of? Yeah, man. I, like I said, I... I studied financial services and economics in college. Didn't necessarily know how that was going to apply. I, I ended up working for a large insurance company for several years. And I was good at the job, but I didn't love it. You know, I was really, I, I got introduced to financial planning and I was in love with that service model, but I just wasn't getting traction the way I wanted to. And I, I didn't have the passion. I ended up moving to New York with the intention of going to graduate school. And through a series of events, I got introduced to Raja Deshi, one of the co-founders of Hidden Levers. And at the time, Hidden Levers was still literally in its incubator stage. We were part of the NYU Poly Technology Incubator, FinTech Technology Incubator, which was in um, right off Barrick Street in Manhattan. And Raj and Praveen, the two founders, uh, brought me on. They brought me on as the first employee to help with business development and sales. And you know, they said, give us one year. Give us a year and see if this thing has legs before you go to graduate school. You know, I ended up spending that first year. We graduated from the incubator. We brought on our first 100 clients. If anybody's interested in, in the actual early days of Hidden Levers, even before me as employee number one, Praveen's been doing a lot of awesome blogging on LinkedIn lately and talking about that. He now has a new company that he's investing in. A lot of it is focused on entrepreneurs and helping people build business. And he recently did several blog posts about starting Hidden Levers and finding product market fit. At the time, we were focused on hedge funds and we were focused, we thought, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, Hidden Levers was a risk model, and it was built on, on running stress tests on publicly traded assets. And um, this was around the 08-09 financial crisis. So it was when the Fed was talking about stress testing bank assets. And so while we're going out to these hedge funds, thinking that they would be interested in, in using us as kind of a predictive tool, we found, through my experience, this more retail RIA space and saying, hey, this is a really important discussion to be having with investors and helping manage expectations. And I feel that we played a critical role. And we all know the players in the space now, but obviously Riskalyze, or now rebranded as Nitrogen, has taken it to the next level. But all of us at the same time, were kind of developing this idea of this thing, this risk tolerance questionnaire process that used to be a compliance issue. We need to bring it to the front of the house. And it can be a marketing tool. It can be a communication tool. It can be a business development tool. And um, I feel that we played a very crucial role in making that and really bringing risk forward around managing investor expectations. And so on to uh, Lifefield. Uh, remember when we first got together and you were talking with us and I was like, wow, this guy's different. He's pretty cool. And it turned out to be that and then some. So what are you pleased about? What are you proud about, about the work at Lifefield? You did a lot of important stuff for us and for our industry, frankly. So talk a little bit about that. What, that, what was that experience like? You know, man, I don't know. I mean, I'm a creature of habit, Jack. But with Lifefield, you know, I feel like when we all got together, Lifefield had already built an extremely successful business in the enterprise world. I'm working with these larger companies. And as you know, I joined Lifefield to help 
launch more of a SaaS platform where we go to the independent RAA and we would have a user interface that they could subscribe to with a credit card and use on their clients. And just like with hidden levers with this topic of risk, taxes had been this thing that was just kind of shoved off to the side that your accountant would deal with at the end of the year. That was so painfully obvious when I first got introduced to Lifefield that we had really solved a transparency issue with how taxes and the impact of taxes can erode the performance of a portfolio. So I joined Lifefield. I joined our team at Lifefield um, to help launch that service. We had an awesome run. We built relationships with over 400 RAAs and really learned quickly how we could expand that model of uncovering and, and assigning value to asset location, but also everything else that surrounds holistic or what we were calling the unified managed household, right? So how do taxes play a role, not just asset location, but tax loss harvesting and capital gain management and transition planning? How do we stitch all that together and make it part of the broader picture and make it more accessible to you know every advisor out there, not just the uber big books? Yeah, pretty incredible. It's been a lot of fun. Of course, the other thing is we decided to focus on those big enterprises because we got, as you well know, we've got a huge client list of huge players like Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan and Ameriprise and Merrill and on and on and on. A lovely list indeed. One of the things I found that I observed is that as good as you are at selling and you are all that, you're as good as a salesperson as I know, you're also equally good on the technical front. So you wound up working with a lot of these big name firms and basically educating them on how to build a UMH, how to build a unified managed household. Not easy stuff, but maybe talk a little bit about that. What was that like? Because you were, you were dealing with the Morgan Stanleys and you were dealing with so many of the InvestNets and the Orions and many, many more. So talk a little bit about that if you would. You know, I learned a ton. So I, I'm like a, I'm a student of the game here. And every company, every step of the way, I've continued to learn more and build on my experience, which has led. It's gone up in sophistication. And not just me, but our entire industry. I mean, when I started with Hidden Levers, and we were starting to talk to RIAs in 2010, we were one of the first integration partners of TD Ameritrade when they opened up Veo. Right, Veo Village. You go to their, you went to the, this conference in 2011, which I think was the first one I attended. And Veo Village was 10 vendors integrated into TD Ameritrade Veo via API. Now <laughs> you go to any one of these conferences, and I think everybody's familiar. If you're not, you can look it up. The Michael Kitsis FinTech map is no longer even a map. It's now just a directory because the logos got so small. You needed a magnifying glass to see who was in each category, right? So it's become a more complicated industry. And the way data is used to run our businesses is critical. It's the fuel and it's become more and more fragmented across different service providers. And so, you know, at Lifefield, one of the things that we focused on and what we did is around coordinating all the accounts that an investor has so that the advisor could actually give advice and distribute that advice across all the accounts holistically to reduce tax drag. It turns out that that's a big data problem, right? It's about coordinating data from all these different systems and then taking our results that Lightfield has with our own proprietary algorithms and distributing that back out to systems and basically playing air traffic control. And so with these large firms, it became an exercise in distilling that down and helping them understand how can we get started? How can we add incremental value? How can we define milestones along the way? 
Because when we think about it, it's a problem that no one really wants to say, okay, I'm going to sign up for the next however many years and solve this big problem across my firm. So we need to boil it down into small incremental milestones. And I guess I showed that that could be done and working with some of the large partners that I got the opportunity to work with, like Ameriprise and SCI and Morgan Stanley on on really a day-to-day or weekly basis. We've been able to show some pretty good results. So talk about where you're going now. Where are you headed with Mammoth? It seems to me you're on the, once again, at the starting point of a gap in the industry, whether it was risk a while back or, or taxes more recently. And now it's just about pulling it together around venture capital, private equity, and what have you is making it easier for it to be incorporated into a household portfolio. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, at the essence, I think that that's like my North Star, personally. That's what's developed is holistic advice. I feel like if if I'm going to be a true fiduciary, our industry has grown so much. We are, we're, you know, we're a real force to be reckoned with on the independent RA side of the market now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I've followed this North Star around how do I create that holistic view and how do mm-hmm. I create actionable advice that improves the outcomes, not just for the investors, but also for the advisors. Sure. You know, more and more private investments are becoming a big part of that. Um, I, I learned this recently, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the stats right in front of me. But 20 years ago, if you wanted to invest in a large cap equity in the United States, something like 70 or 80 percent of them were available on public markets on an exchange, New York Stock Exchange. You could go to your broker and and buy that stock. Today, it's less than 10 percent. So more and more availability into our economy is going private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to have true diversification and to be invested in those markets, you have to go the private route. And the accessibility problem is coming down. There's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of exchanges that are making it easier and easier and easier. And technology and innovation is fueling this for people to go out and make private deals and to get invested into you know, smaller startups or large cap companies. I just met with a guy this last week, $17 billion in revenue a year, private company. Wow. Right. So more and more people are exposed to and getting the opportunity to go make these investments and they're doing it with or without their financial advisor. So coming back to that fiduciary model, if I'm a financial advisor, I want to do everything I can. I want to use all the tools available so that I can be at the center of all those exchanges. And that's what we're trying to solve for at Mammoth. Great. So going out a few years from now, what does it look like? What do you what do you hope to accomplish? And maybe it's not in specific, but where, where do you see it all headed? No, I mean, like I said, I think that this trend is going up and to the right when it comes to privates, when it comes to um, the amount, the allocation that advisors are putting into private investments. And again, I think that with our background, our partnerships, our deep understanding of how data works and how to build integrations with these partners, I see Mammoth on the desktop of every firm. I see Mammoth being the, the critical player in connecting all of these different fragmented systems And again, bringing them all down into one pane of glass, one experience, a delightful experience, taking something that's been painful for an investor that they go through the process anyways, because they want to be able to tell this story. Sure, sure. sure. Right. And make it out a delightful experience where their advisor can truly add value. That's what I'm really excited about. Cool. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, see, this has been great. As always, you and I talk when we're not on podcasts, but fun to do it officially on on the podcast and hear the story for public consumption. I'm thrilled for you. I think you're onto something big and 
course, uh, big fans of Judd and Kim as well. So you're doing it with, with good folks. So as we look to wrap up, I'd like to ask if you have three key takeaways you'd like to share with our audience. Yeah, I just to repeat myself, you know, one is I think that the advisor client relationship should be at the center of every financial decision. Today, it's not. It needs to be. At Mammoth Tech, we're designing a tool to sit at the crossroads of advice and private investing. And uh, we believe that every interaction should build trust and create a delightful experience. Terrific. I know you're off to a great start and I know you're going to succeed wildly and I'm rooting for you every step of the way. So our last and favorite question, you've answered this a few times, so I'll be curious what you come up with this time around. What do you do outside of work that uh, you're excited or passionate about and people might find interesting or surprising? Yeah, man, I was debating what I should share, but because I'm in the middle of doing another fundraiser, I have to drop a nonprofit I'm involved with called Rally for Rangers. I discovered Rally for Rangers a couple of years ago and have gotten involved and have now will be going on my second trip in July to Namibia. And what we do is we raise money to buy motorcycles for park rangers all over the world, generally in, in areas where funding is an issue for the park ranger system. And uh, what we found is that having modern technology allows them to be way more effective at their jobs, whether that's protecting visitors to the parks, working with the wildlife, preventing poaching, all things that I am passionate about. And I love riding motorcycles. So I think that whether that's interesting or not, (laughs) it's really interesting to me. And I hope that at least one of your viewers finds enough interest to go check out rallyforrangers.org and learn a little bit more about our cause. That's terrific. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, great to catch up with you, Steve. Thrilled for your past success, your current success, and I know future success. I also wish you well as a supporter of your Rally for Rangers. So I encourage others who are uh, want to support someone who wants to help others, check it out. And for our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we do here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Steve, again, it's been a real pleasure. I can't wait till the next time we chat, but it'll probably not be on a podcast, but uh, good to catch up as always. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.